Good afternoon, uh, good morning, uh, and maybe good evening. Apparently, we have people from Australia joining us. Hopefully, you're not the only one, but uh, I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, very excited to have you guys for this new episode of In the Nick of Time with Lauren, the Air Force and Space Force Chief Information Officer, joining us today. She's uh, going to be here with us in a few minutes. First, I have a few um um, and f some information to share with you guys. So we're going to get started first by reminding you all to uh, subscribe to the um, In the Nick of Time show by going to ama.preventbridge.com slash register so you can get the notifications regarding the next uh, events. We're going to have uh, next week Jay Bonchi, the Air Force and Space Force Chief Technology Officer. And uh, you're going to see as welcoming... Uh, Raja, the CEO of Otimo, you're going to see also uh, coming uh, John Olson, uh, the Chief Data and AI Officer for the Air Force and Space Force. And I have a special guest coming as well soon. I'm not going to announce it yet, but uh, you're going to be pretty excited. So there's a lot of people joining us and coming in the show. So if you know people that you think would be great guests, with a great story and maybe even from outside of the DOD even better, uh, please make sure to send us an email or reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, so we can reach out and see if they're interested in joining the show. So we have uh, already quite a few bookings until um, end of April, but uh, we need to get uh, started on May. So uh, let's do that. Um, also, um, if you don't mind uh, connecting to the LinkedIn um in the nick of time page and uh, follow us. We're going to be sharing special content there. So there's going to be a lot of um, great information. So if you can follow the LinkedIn page in the nick of time, that will be great. Um, and then also a couple of announcements. If you missed it uh, in the news, uh, yours truly, uh, I um, was on two um, Fox News segments, one on Anonymous um, and... Um, um, all right, so I was on Fox regarding Anonymous and the involvement against Russia. So if you want to check that out. And then I was also on Fox regarding the uh, risk of uh, cyber attacks against the U.S. Uh, critical infrastructure from Russia. So I want to hear that as well. And if you missed it, uh, there's something pretty scary going on. And uh, because of what's going on in Ukraine, uh, most people are not uh, talking about that uh, because uh, effectively... Uh, we're too busy uh, talking about other things, but uh, there was a, a pretty significant hack with NVIDIA. And in fact, it's misspelled NVIDIA here. Uh, there's A missing, but uh, uh, what's pretty uh, significant here is they uh, hacked into the, the email uh, systems, but also uh, the development uh, side of NVIDIA. And, uh, you know, what's pretty scary is that they can effectively... Uh, get into uh, their source code. And as you know, uh, NVIDIA chips, whether it's um, new GPUs used for gaming, and everybody's talking about gaming, but they forget it's also massively used for machine learning and artificial intelligence. So um, clearly something to pay attention to. Um, pretty scary that, uh, you know, malicious actor got access to the source code of these chips. Obviously, they can find uh, something uh, pretty scary there. Um, when you um, think about, um, you know, the, the source code of these uh, GPUs. So um, uh, Joel here is showing a link on the uh, um, NVIDIA hack. 
And uh, there was also claims that uh, NVIDIA hacked back the hackers. Uh, obviously, that's uh, not confirmed, um, nor would it be legal. But uh, uh, we don't know if that's true or not. But uh, either way, if uh, malicious actors got access to the source code of these chips, you can expect massive uh, number of uh, uh, hacks coming in the next uh, few months because uh, that's going to enable uh, more easily to, to find out issues in these uh, chips and of course these are massively used uh, also in the, the DoD and the rest of the US government as well so um pretty scary all right so um we talked about uh the the news obviously lots going on right now with uh Ukraine and everybody's praying for our friends in Ukraine so um that's what's going on so uh before we bring Lauren in uh i have one more uh thing to share with you guys and also, I'm going to want to see your questions. I see already some questions on the chat, but I have quite a few on um, from LinkedIn as well. All right. So um, Lauren is uh, right now with the Secretary of the Air Force since she's finishing her lunch. So we talked about cheese and uh, uh, you saw my post about cheese. And, and, you know, the Secretary is also very much in love of, of uh, uh, cheeses. So... Uh, it's a good analogy here uh, to uh, wait for Lauren to show up here. She told me she'll be here in a few minutes. In the meantime, um, I guess I'll take questions for me, waiting for her to be here with us. She's uh, on the way. She's at the Pentagon. And, and funny enough, a Nipper is always blocking uh, the streaming app. So um, she has uh, an ability to, uh, to set up a, a, a 4G um, dongle to be able to connect. And uh, uh, she's one of the few that has the ability to put a camera at the Pentagon. So um, to be able to join us live from the Pentagon. So uh, we're just waiting in a, for a couple of minutes. So in the meantime, uh, since we're all here and we're waiting for her, uh, if you have uh, questions for me, I'll take your questions now. I have quite a few questions for Lauren. So uh, all those already lined up. If you have more questions for Lauren, make sure you put them in the comment section below. And um, let's see what you guys are posting about. Troy has a, had a question for Lauren, and we'll bring it up to Lauren as well. Uh, he was asking, why does the Air Force still relay, rely, I guess, rely on the bloated Windows desktop when most users just need web and email access? Chromebooks have proven to work in large enterprises. That's a, that's a very interesting um uh, statement and most of the uh, Air Force applications have moved to web apps. In the in the earlier days, there was a lot of um, Windows uh, desktop applications. So um, um, yeah, that's uh, that's something that obviously uh, could make sense. Um, I think uh, some of the issues, of course, uh, the government doesn't know how to deal with uh, Chromebooks and uh, uh, Windows domains and how to authenticate. Uh, people with a CAC and and all the uh, uh, you know small card uh, requirements when it comes to uh, uh, Chromebooks as well uh, and Stigs. Um, I don't know, Troy. Maybe you can share with us. Um, you know what could be uh, an existing implementation in DoD of Chromebooks. If you know any, I'll be good to uh, uh, to find out. Um, 
All right. So Angelica was asking me my favorite cheese. So uh, my favorite cheese, of course, has to be uh, goat cheese. And uh, in French, it, it is called uh, Boucheron, uh, which is the 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 guy cutting down the trees, however you say that in, in English. So, um, <laughs> And I guess Brandon is asking about Space Force on, on Netflix. I have definitely seen the first season. I, I, I need to catch up with the second season. I believe it just came out. So I don't know if you've seen it, uh, Brandon, but... Uh, the first one was pretty funny. Unfortunately, I, I heard one of the actor, the the dad of the the four star general, died, passed away in real life. So that's sad. Um, but uh, my favorite character is definitely uh, the equivalent to General Raymond, right? That's uh, pretty funny stuff. Particularly when you know uh, uh, the real people in real life. It's um, uh, all right. Uh, I told her we're talking about cheese, so she's excited to talk about cheese. So, um, oh yeah, so you've seen. Uh, 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 that's a great point, Tim. Uh, thanks for uh, reminding me. I wanted to talk uh, about that as well. But uh, you've seen Toyota shutting down, allegedly not uh, related to the Ukrainian uh, situation here. But um, I, I think that's uh, not hundred percent clear yet. Uh, but pretty much, uh, you know, that demonstrate the importance of cyber nowadays. Even even though Toyota is one one of the most leading. Uh, innovative company when it comes to agile and uh, implementation of DevSecOps. Uh, clearly, uh, uh, you can see that uh, companies are very much at risk. So that's something to pay attention to. Um, and then Sandy was saying um, the former IBM CIO proved that Apple products cost less in total cost over ownership over time. One of the GSA BPA for Apple devices as a service. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, you know. Um, I think we need to have options. So, um, uh, all right. So, you know what? I have, I have our dear guest. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring her in. I was running out of things to say. So, perfect, perfect timing. All right. So first, let me bring her, her beautiful profile here on the screen. And Lauren, just so you know, there's the issues with LinkedIn. So people are also joining on on YouTube because LinkedIn is having. Uh, we, you have, you brought so many guests in today. We have. Uh, uh 750 people connected now and you awesome. crash you crash linkedin so um uh -oh. that's how much you you attract so i'm going to introduce you first of course lauren and i uh have known each other for quite a while now we, we're so young but but yet uh we've known each other for at least uh four years uh she is obviously the chief information officer for the Department of the Air Force, uh, which includes Air Force and Space Force, for, for people that don't know. She leads two directorates, uh, 20,000 cyber operations and support uh, people around the globe with a portfolio of 17 billion. We'll talk about those billions and what you do with all these billions. You, it, seems, it seems you have so much money floating around, right? Uh, when you read these bios, right? But we'll see it's not as easy as people think. Um, and then you provide, obviously, oversight of all Air Force IT portfolio, uh, including the networks, cloud computing, enterprise policies, information resources, IT innovation initiatives. What else, right? Uh, you're sleeping all day, pretty much. And, of course, there is a massive cyber security side of the house with uh, all the FOIA requests and privacy laws because you have nothing else to, to, to think about. And the war fighting mission and support capabilities. Uh, so it's not just a business uh, boring 
uh, networking side, but also uh, wall fighting capabilities, uh, securing airspace and terrestrial assets. So uh, uh, 10,000 IT cyber personnel uh, as well. So that's uh, interesting that we talked about last time and you know we'll bring it up today, but uh, the fact that you have a, a pretty big um, uh, access to um, pushing the right training to those people. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about that. But first, all right, we have so many questions for you. So many people ask already questions on LinkedIn. I want to talk about your journey because you have a pretty unusual uh, story starting uh, very early um, with the IC. So maybe uh, give us a little bit of insight as to who you are for people that don't know you as well as I do. All right, sure. So um, I think I think at least a few people know I, I joined the, uh, the Air Force at the time. Space Force didn't exist quite yet when I joined. Um, that uh, I joined by accident. I was actually an entrepreneur at the time. And uh, just through happenstance, um, had an Air Force captain call me up and say, hey, can we can we have a beer? I, I really think that more companies like yours need to be in the DOD. Um, and uh, I just want to kind of bounce some ideas and, and, and see where we can go. Um, and so I met this uh, this captain down at Blue Jacket Brewery uh, near the Navy Yard in D.C. And he was telling me all of the... Um, he was just telling me all of the different roadblocks that were in his way and in his fellow airmen's way to do basic things. And I was, I was really intrigued by this. Um, you know, I think as a, as a private citizen and just as a person, you know, we have these warfighters that are trying to protect us and do great things for their country. And I just thought it sounded like they were having to work way too hard on, on things that didn't matter that were taking them away from things that really, really matter. Um, and so, uh, through that conversation, um, I, I literally on a bar napkin uh, sketched out a couple of ideas um, for how we could kind of just give a rocket boost to some of the innovation initiatives going on throughout the Air Force. And uh, that bar napkin turned into a PowerPoint that was briefed to General Kreider. You're always in a PowerPoint in DOD, right? That's of course. You know, it is it is the way we fight the wars. You know, you got to start with the PowerPoint. Um <laughs> But it was it was briefed that that Monday to General Kreider, who later would become uh, the chief data, the first chief data officer uh, for the Air Force, and then later the uh, the first CTIO for the Space Force. And uh, she pulled me Remember in. Her? I met General Holmes, who then became the uh, the ACC commander, and also uh, General Bender, who was the CIO at the time. And uh, they they pulled me in and uh, and just said, "Hey, you know, you need to come serve your country, right?" Um, and after I said no several times, um, really, they just kind of read me like a book. And, and what really pulled me in um, was these generals looking across the table at me. Um, I'd, I'd never met a general in my life. I had no DOD experience. And just saying, look, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and just saying, hey, when, when you talk about these things, we believe that we can actually do this. And do you, you know, you can, we'll, we'll give you a contract if you want to come in, you know, and, and consult for us, but you'll be reliant upon someone who is a part of this system to execute. Or, you know, we can tell that you are passionate about these problems, that, that some of these problems have annoyed you on the peripheries of the DOD for many years. This is your chance to come and do it. And we believe with you, we can do it. And so that just kind of hit me right, you know, hit me right through the heart and, uh, you know, so so good influence ops there. You know, just just kind of reading me and, and pulling me right in. But 
Um, but I did jump in. And that first job, I was the chief transformation officer, um, did a lot of work with uh, with Kessel Run and changing the way that we do uh, cyber accreditation uh, with Fast Track ATO and Continuous ATO, launching Digital U, um, just seeing that, that kind of gap in the way that we did talent management um, and helping to start things like um, AFWorks and Spark Tank. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of things were on that bar napkin and actually a lot of them have come to fruition, which is just really, uh, very cool and rewarding. Um, maybe I'll pull that out one day and we can kind of do a check by check, you know, of the bar napkin. A picture of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just as a historical note, you know, we'll, we'll put the bar napkin we need to frame in, the it in, the, in, the, in the Pentagon, you know, that's right. On the, on the wall. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I thought I'd I thought I'd make a run for it after three years. But just as I was about to make a run for it, um, you know, Bill Marion kind of, you know, he said, "Hey, so I'm I'm headed out, and uh, you know, you're the obvious next CIO, right?" And after I kind of looked over my shoulder and asked him, "Obvious to whom?" Um, you know, because I don't know if you've noticed, but. I, I do not look like uh, the CIOs that we've had in the past. You know, we, we've only had one civilian CIO before me. We have never had uh, a CIO under 40. We have never had a CIO that was more commercial um, or that, that did not kind of grow up through the department. Um, and so it actually was a really big deal uh, that the Air Force um, was looking for something very different and that the Air Force had the confidence in me to bring that something different and to try to shake things up. And um, I, I didn't know what my chances were of being selected as the Air Force CIO, but I figured I'd throw my name in the hat. And if the Air Force chose me, I felt that I had to answer the call and do everything that I could to change the way that we were doing business, to bring agility and to help our warfighters. So, so that's why I'm here. Um, and other than that, I enjoy uh, traveling the world. I do enjoy French cheese. Um, and, and in general, I'm, I'm a pretty big foodie um, and, and also love to kind of get out uh, into, have, have some outdoor adventures whenever I can. And so you've been in, so that napkin story, you didn't tell us when, when was that? What, what date was this? Do you remember? Not exactly the month, but at least a year. Was this so six I wanna, years ago? I want to say the bar napkin was in the neighborhood of November, 2016. And I want to say I met General Holmes in like April, 2017. Mm. And then then jumped in, I think I EOD June or July of 2017. So well, there was a yeah. big, that, that shows people how long it takes also. I mean, I'm sure you took a while to make your decision, but uh, still takes a very long time for people to get into the jobs. It, it does. Now, I mean, we can, we can go fast um, in certain cases. Um, you know, when I came on though, I was one of the very first HQEs. Yeah, um, you, and you and for those that don't know what it is, What's that now? You had to figure out everything out. No one knew how to do it. Well, it, it wasn't even that. Um, and so for your viewers that don't know what an HQE is, it's a highly qualified expert. That's also what Nick was when, when he joined the department. But the intent is to have someone with outside expertise come mm -hmm. in for a fixed period of time. And um, so I was one of the first. And, and really, when I was coming in, people were not really sure they wanted to 
have <laughs> HQEs? Why do yes. I want some person from outside? You know, my actually the first um, I invited myself to a uh, a cocktail party at General Bunch's house um, <laughs> when he was the uh, the acquisition executive at the Pentagon, and um, I, I kind of noticed that first that first day I was at a PEO CEO day. That's when they bring all of the acquirers together with industry CEOs, and then everyone gets uh, gets back together after. And I noticed a little bit of a frosty reception from a couple of people, you know, and we're drinking beer and we're telling stories. Um, you know, I, I even told a couple entertaining stories from my IC days, um, <laughs> once upon a time in a former life. And uh, one of the guys just, he was just like, okay, I, you know, I, I, I got to tell you this. I, I like you. Um, and let me tell you what the story was about you coming in. We, we heard that you were coming into the CIO shop and you were just going to fix acquisition and you just had all of the answers. And so we wanted to not like you, but actually we want to partner with you. And so, so that's how people thought about HQEs in the beginning. It was just some, you know, out of touch person from the outside that would come and know everything and, and, you know, fix everything. Everything. So, although you did come in and know everything and fix everything, so maybe they were right. I don't know, but they still don't like don't like HQEs. So maybe we just confirmed that that thought. I don't know, but I I would still argue that most people don't like HQEs. No, they. Well, we've so. come a long way though, and I think that the no. department has embraced the knowledge of the HQEs. Um, we do things differently, um, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, I will say, I think I've shared with you this with you before. Um, I don't think that I would have had the patience for the DOD before kids. Um, you definitely did not have the patience for the DOD, but we all found that refreshing, um, you know, at least for the most part. Even after kids, even after kids. So Even after kids. That probably still upped your patient, you know, yeah, your patience ratio. Bit. Yeah. Yes. And, and funny enough, you're on the dark side now. You're not even a weed. I mean, I'm not in the government, but you're you're an SCS three star now. Fancy real deal. That's a pretty unique. I've never heard of uh, such a thing of uh, uh, not even an H degree, but even like someone like you jump all the way straight to a three star bit. Right. That's yeah, unique. it is. It is very rare. And I think that it will probably be continue to be somewhat rare because most of the most of the jobs at my level within the department, um, you know, short of the appointees who who are mm -hmm. brought in for, you know, for different types of expertise. Right. The, the folks at the three-star level largely are expected to have a career in the organization and really understand the war fighting enterprise, how we fight, the tactics. You know, they've gone to war college. Um, I, I have at least read Sun Tzu, um, you know, but there's, <laughs> there's also kind of the book list that everyone has. Um, and so... I don't think there are many positions where this type of risk would be taken. Um, mm -hmm. But in the CIO job, I think it was a smart play um, because I, I have an incredible staff that knows the warfighting enterprise. I have incredible colleagues that know the warfighting enterprise. And so I know that anytime I walk into a room, I'm probably simultaneously the smartest and dumbest in that room because I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring a lot of um, technology expertise and, and a lot of uh, push for doing things differently that others may not. Although I will say that has, we've turned a corner on that. I think, I think the department's pretty ready for change. Most of the senior leaders are just, they are so ready to to drop the old ways of doing business, and so are our young airmen. On the other side of that, I know that you know they've had thirty years at this. They've seen all the history. They know exactly what didn't go wrong, uh, what went wrong last time. Um, they know exactly how we fight. 
Um, and so I am constantly learning from my colleagues when it comes to the warfighting domain, how we fight, how we partner with our allies and, and pretty much everything in that area. Yeah. And so, in fact, the next question for you is going to be about your current role in priorities. And, and God knows you have these 17 billion we talk about sitting on the on the shelf next to you in the Pentagon to solve everything that we're, we're struggling with. So what are you waiting for? I don't understand. I know I'm just so flush with cash. So, um, so that number, of course, uh, is, is very misleading um, yeah. because while there are, I mean, if you look at the uh, the Air Force top line, um, which is is a very large number, um, so much of that relies on technology. Our weapon systems rely on technology. Our, our C2 systems, our intelligence systems. And so if you look at that on everything that we are spending on the tech stack across all of those different things, um, you know, 17 billion makes a lot of sense. Um, but there, you know, very little of that is actually um, in the complete control of the uh, the CIO. And we are working to get a better handle on that and also leverage the knowledge of how we are investing today um, to do a better job of looking at what are the high ROI investments that we can make? Where can we divest? Um, where can we break down stovepipes and move toward a world um, where we are fighting in one space? And so one of the big parts of my vision is to get us to one war fighting environment where we can fight together with our joint partners and allies, where we can use software that works, that pulls data from anywhere to anywhere, and where we can fight and, and do business from anywhere. Um, and so there are a lot of things that we have to do toward that end. And, and typically when I'm talking about my priorities, I talk about the four pillars. And the first of those is building out a rock solid digital foundation. And so that is making sure that we have a tech stack that is going to work when we need it, um, that we have solid transport that we can connect, grabbing any signal that we can connect with that we have consistent cloud-based architecture and infrastructure that we can access uh, in the cloud and at the tactical edge and uh, intelligently share data in between, um, that we have software that works, that we are leveraging uh, our data and our AI as best we can toward our mission um, as, of course, we mature these capabilities. The, the second piece, and, and built into that rock solid digital foundation, is uh, making sure that we are secure as we do it, um, especially as we build new things, but also um, spending a little bit more time fixing kind of the, the boat that we have. Um, you know, that, that is really critical given the global scale that we have. The second piece is user experience for warfighter effect. And that really comes down to taking care of our warfighters and giving people the tools that they need to do their jobs. Um, and so something that we've done over the past 18 months is we have now instrumented our entire network, uh, at least on the unclass domain, to see where are we doing really well with user experience and where are we failing? And so if something is going wonky, I can look at it and I can say, oh, the network there uh, is doing something funky and I can alert the comm squadron. Um, we've had all sorts of interesting things that we found through this approach. Um, one, no surprise, um, we have multiple endpoint security solutions fighting each other on our endpoints um, and really just sucking the life out of uh, endpoints that, you know, quite frankly, were never up to the task. And so um, something that's come out of that is, A, we have a new uh, standard desktop configuration that actually 
is pretty solid. When we hand someone a new laptop, their user experience scores go from about 40%, which is not awesome, to about 65%, which actually is pretty close to what a commercial enterprise would say about their in-house IT, um, because, you know, quite frankly, nobody likes their in-house IT. Um, but it's a 30-point jump just from handing someone a new, a new laptop. So that is huge. Um, the next piece is looking at where are we really failing specifically and how do we get after those things? So how do we get our endpoint security solutions to stop fighting each other? How do we streamline our endpoint security solution, period? Um, we've had, uh, for instance, Outlook and, um, and Adobe are, are two of the top tools that um, are most likely to have a poor experience on our network. And so we're actually working with those vendors to look at why that is um, and to help us make changes in configuration so that we don't have the lag. Um, same thing on the endpoint security side, McAfee and Tanium um, have sent us some really great engineers to help us figure out in the short term, how can we get their tools to stop uh, fighting each other? And so we're leveraging the power of this data to see exactly where the problems are and to get after it. And we're listening to Airmen. Um, we have a long way to go uh, with equipping Airmen with tools. We've made some progress. Platform One has been a huge part of that progress, um, but we are still having a hard time scaling that. And so my new uh, CTO, who I think was on your program not long ago, I have him working a roadmap on how do we get to those applications. And so I think, um, think some of our airmen will be and our guardians will be happy to hear us asking them, hey, what are the most important tools to do your jobs over the next year and see how we can get those into the palm. The third is and enabling you, you, talent. Just one thing. What's that, Nick? Sorry. No, sorry. Just one thing. You will be on the show next week, uh, Jay. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, you can ask him about the, uh, the roadmap. Um, actually, you can ask him about all of the different roadmaps that, that I have him working. Um, so that should be a good discussion. Um, so the third pillar is enabling digital talent. And that comes down to, again, you know, giving people the tools that they need to do their job, but also equipping them with the knowledge to operate in a new world. And Digital U has been a huge part of that vision um, because in the past, the way that we would train people is we would hire someone from the defense industrial base. We'd say, hey, we heard this cloud thing might be coming. And several years later, um, you know, we would have a new curriculum that was immediately outdated. And so um, really the strategy with Digital U is how do we take the best of what is available commercially um, with providers like Udemy, Udacity, Pluralsight, and more, um, and um, just, I mean, they're still in business because they are really good at what they do and they are constantly curating content. And pretty much the second uh, the commercial sector recognizes that there is a new technology or a new skill that's needed, they have it in their platform. And so Airmen and Guardians, they could go out and do some of this stuff for free. They could go out and just buy this independently. But then, you know, we're, we're paying for it in different pockets. We're not getting economy of scale and we can't give them credit for that learning. And so at this point, we have democratized access to Digital U. We have over 30,000 people logging in daily to learn whatever they want to learn. We have more career fields that are building paths in Digital U that say, hey, if you follow this path, we will recognize that you have this skill. Um, they're working through some gamification features right now where we can uh, codify that into badging, where, um, where you can say, hey, I'm Kessel Run and 
um, this is what a software developer should know to me. These are the classes I'd want them to take. These are the scores I'd want them to have. If you do this group of tasks, then you will earn a Kessel Run badge. And hey, maybe that means that you get an interview with Kessel Run. Or with our data science community, they throw elbows over who gets the master's program over at Air Force um, at AFIT um, in the Midwest. And um, and so they they have a hard time actually sorting through all of that. So they say, well, maybe if we have a learning path in Digital U, people show that they're serious before they actually show up to the master's program. They develop real tech. Maybe we weed out some people that don't have the tech chops before they show up to the master's program. So that's been um, that's been very powerful. And then the next step is linking that data into our personnel systems so that we can start to give people credit for things like promotions. We could have our secretaries say, hey, we have a conflict going on right now. We need these skills in the fight. Please send me people with this skill set. Or I know that I'm going to need this over the next year. I'm going to do a bonus for this type of skill set. If you can hit it out of the park at this level, then um, then we want to maybe give you some sort of an incentive. And um, actually, one of my favorite um, kind of stories that was a motivation for Digital U was General Raymond back when he was either Colonel Raymond or Brigadier General Raymond um, out in the Pacific. And uh, some tsunamis had hit a nuclear power plant, and he was working with the Japanese government to help with the recovery, the disaster and recovery operation. And one of the steps that they needed to take was to model the radiation. And that was how they were going to prioritize their response. And so Google actually stepped up to the plate and said, hey, we will help. But in order to help, we need four Python developers that, that know this mission. And um, so General Raymond at the time, um, by the way, uh, as a result of this story that I'm telling you right now, General Raymond was the first person to complete the Python class in Digital U. But at the time, um, General Raymond from a few years ago, he said, what the heck is Python? And he manually scoured the Air Force, leveraging his staff to find four people that could, quote unquote, speak Python. And so... Um, <clears throat> So that was actually a pretty big effort, um, you know, with the general officer manually making calls. We didn't list these skills in our system at the time, but he found four Python coders. He got them on an airplane and uh, on a helicopter, rather, and got them over and they solved the problem leveraging Python. So if that were to happen today, we could go into Digital U and say, hey, these are the 200 people that did the Python course. These were the top 20 finishers. These are the four that are closest to Japan. And then go get those guys on the helicopter. And that's something that we could do within an hour, maybe faster with the right focus. And so that's really what we're trying to do is to, um, to democratize the access to this type of education, constantly upskill our workforce and show people that they are valued, um, to gamify the experience, to make it fun, but also drive the market for what our future career fields should be and to operationalize that data, um, similar to the way that uh, General Raymond operationalized that skill set a number of years ago. Um, and then the final, uh, the final pillar is trade space. And so the way I articulate that is ruthlessly attack manual process, outdated policy, and redundant IT. And so we did learn um, in our ITAS risk reduction experiment that uh, all of our bases have different architecture. Um, and we do some really crazy things sometimes. We'll have daisy chain switches. We'll have really weird uh, configurations in our firewalls. And so there are times when we can say, hey, we could add this feature to this firewall and we could remove that entire device and we could save millions of dollars by doing it. 
Um, so there, there are a lot of redundant things in our path. Um, you know, same thing with any transactional path um, exercise that we do. We find that we have too many hops. Um, for instance, at the at the beginning of COVID, uh, we had a lot of uh, complaints coming in through our user experience data saying, "Hey, email's too slow." Um, it was because we were going through forty paths to send an email, forty uh, hops. Nick, can you believe we were going through forty hops? Does that surprise That's you at all? Right. Nope. Yeah. So we got it down to two or three, which was huge work by the team. And uh, not surprisingly, our uh, frustration with the speed of email immediately um, went out of the comments and people were then focused on different problems that they had in the enterprise. Um, outdated policy. So we have a lot of funky policies um, that get in our way. There are other places where we don't have a policy and people need to be empowered. So pretty much anytime I tell folks, I'm open to crowdsourcing. If you see a policy that needs to go away, tell me what should go in its place and why. And we will absolutely do it if it makes sense. Um, same thing for gaps in policy. If there is something that we need there for guidance that will help um, just light um, light the fires uh, behind airmen, let's do it. Um, and then finally, trade space. You know, we we mentioned that you know it sounds like we have a lot of money, but we really don't. Um, and in the EIT portfolio, for instance, I start every year about negative two hundred fifty million dollars. So so at the beginning of the year, I have to figure out where I'm going to either cut basic services by $250 million, or I have to play chicken and hope that the money will fall from heaven in the fourth quarter, um, or I have to find other sources to bring into the portfolio. And this is this is largely for basic services. So um, just the way that we manage the money is really funky. Um, that's something that I've been very vocal about. And we have, um, we have a secretary and, and a senior leadership team that are very serious about fixing this problem um, because they do recognize that this is a huge part of the foundation for our future competitive advantage. And I, of course, feel very passionately about that uh, as well. And that's part of why I'm here. Um, so those are those are the four pillars. I'll give you two kind of really near time things that we are really focused in on right now. Uh, one, you'll hear from Jay next week, and that is that we are leveraging something called the Integrated uh, Warfighting Network Pilot out in PACAF, putting real tangible capability in the hands of the warfighters out there um, that will allow us to very quickly go agnostic with our comms and live in much more of an integrated cloud and edge world, um, which will be a big, uh, which will be a first for the department, the way that we are executing this. Um, huge capability jump forward. Um, I hear that the commanders out there are just really thrilled to have this capability in their hands. It is moving their mission forward today. Uh, we're going to leverage that capability and continue to add to it as we go into the roadmap that Jay will probably also brief you on uh, next week, which is how we are going forward. Things like how are we moving forward with zero trust and identity? How are we moving forward with SD-WAN? How are we moving forward with automation? Um, so a lot of things that we are going to leverage the pilot, the IWN pilot to test, that we are going to roll into that roadmap, and that we will then advocate very hard to get into the fiscal year 24 POM um, and beyond so that we can continue to deliver these capabilities for the warfighter in a focused and funded way where we can spend every dollar very smartly to hit that next most critical need for the warfighter. And the other side of that is, if you look at my strategy, um, you know, from an industry perspective, um, I think people um, kind of know where I'm going with it. Um, 
and, and kind of know where we're weak right now. From a warfighter perspective, it looks to them very, very forward-leaning um, and, and almost like, hey, we're just going to wait for technology to solve the problem. We're going to skip ahead. We're going to cheat. How much do we really want to focus on fixing what we have today when we have all of this goodness coming? And, um, and so we have refocused in on just really making sure that our current operators know that we have to fix this today. Um, phase two or wave two for ITAS, where we um, really shake up the WAN, it's still it's still probably a year or two away. And so in the meantime, we have a lot of problems we have to fix today. And so um, our, our 16th Air Force and our Triple C have doubled down and are pretty much locking themselves in a room uh, for the next 120 days to fix as many problems as they can fix, starting with our endpoints and then uh, looking at things like Adobe and Outlook um, and then following the thread to the things that our data says are going to make the biggest difference for our warfighter. And so I'm really excited to see that operational community working directly with the innovators to drive that change now. Um, and so hopefully the next time I, I chat with you over the next few months, I'll, I'll have some updates from that. Uh, so that that's where we're hot right now. Right now. What are your visit? What do your viewers want to hear about? Well, that was quite the num number of, um, <coughs> you know, competing uh, priorities. And, you know, I, I remember when you started, you told me something, and that's going to be my only question because we have 22 questions from the public already lined up. So, um, I remember you told me when you started the year and you started in the, in the job, you had effectively already a deficit of funding. So you could not innovate. You could not think outside the box. You could not fix any of the existing problems because you had no money to spare. At best, you had to find money to even cover the existing bills. How do we solve that? Is that a still a thing? And, and have you solved that? So um, I, I will I will probably rephrase. It's not that we can't do anything or solve existing problems. <laughs> it does make it a lot harder, though, when you have to figure out how to cover next month's rent. Um, and, and, that, yeah. and that is a real thing. You know, if you spend that oh, much yeah. time having to manage your money, it takes a lot away from, from other things. And so really, if I can find someone to own just about anything, I will say go. It doesn't have to be on my team. It doesn't have to be in my budget. If we have really smart people that are ready to tackle a problem, you know, hey, go do it. And and I and I leverage that that crowdsourcing power a lot. But as far as the money, that is a key part of what I'm trying to get after now. We just awarded a contract uh, to a large consulting firm actually to help me to leverage um, some of the work that we've done over the last year in getting after our IT spend and really advocating internally to make high ROI IT investments to um, to divest some things, get out of our technical debt and pull some of that money back into the coffers. Um, we also have had some really good support for our zero trust and ICAM work that is in the 23 Palm and, and will continue actually through to the plan. And I think that's something that we're going to continue to gain support for um, to the point where we do. My goal is to be solvent by 23. I call it uh, IT budget that works by fiscal year 23. I don't think that we'll quite get there, but I think we will be much closer. And by 24, I do think that we will be in a healthy situation where the CIO of the department does see more of the IT spend, can make decisions across silos and do a better job of category management, um, divest things that we need to divest and uh, leverage modernization to make us stronger. And I will share too that uh, we're getting a lot of support right now 
from the secretary and uh, also across uh, the secretary's various operational initiatives to do things that historically have been uh, in the CIO lane with the CIO or the CISO saying, hey, we have to do this. And now it's the operational commander saying, hey, we have to do this. We need to do a better job of censoring um, some parts of our enterprise. We need to do a better job of automating many parts of our enterprise. We have to be able to automate pushing patches and functionality. We need to um, take advantage of the policies that I've already put in place for fast track ATO, continuous ATO, um, and really ATO through, through cyber assessment. Um, and push that out across the enterprise um, and to, to really consolidate uh, the way that we do that and automate. And that's something that we all know that we need to do. Everyone complains about it, but everyone complains about it historically without bringing money and focus and work to the table. And I think we're at the point where the voices are loud enough from the operational community that we'll be able to actually get that funding and focus that we need for some of those types of problems. And that will really light the fire. Awesome. All right. That's a good answer. So I'll take it. All right. So first question, and that's, uh, that's the one that we actually talked together about quite a bit, but um, Troy was asking and and someone else also mentioned, you know, Apple, but uh, it doesn't really matter what you end up picking, but why does the Air Force still rely on the bloated Windows desktop when users uh, just need web and email access? Chromebooks have proven to work um well with large enterprises and someone else mentioned also of course the fact that apple devices could be uh, bought as a service so the very least also have a cheaper um allegedly at least cheaper cost of um um, you know uh, during the lifetime of the device absolutely so um so i agree uh with the spirit of the question and so where where we're headed itas wave one um the rfp should be on the street I hope within the next 30 days, um, <laughs> we, I think we got through a couple of the wickets, but the intent there is to look holistically at how do we purchase endpoints? Um, how do we have variety in our endpoints or not? Um, what is the mix of devices that we need? Are we going to go to VDI? Are we going to u- leverage BYOED? Our wave one vendor, we will be asking them to, <coughs> excuse me, to be our strategic partner as we go through and and do this analysis and see at scale what we can do um, and also what we can do within our budget. And so if I had my way, we'd go all VDI, we'd scale it up rapidly. Um, If people have a great laptop they wanna use at home, they would use it. Um, I'd absolutely endorse Chromebooks. We probably can't afford Macs for everyone because they're really expensive. Um, you know, so that's kind of one of those, you know, specialized areas, but airmen today can use desktop anywhere to do the vast majority of their work. Um, and, and that's been around for a long time. I've also been chatting with VMware about, you know, how could we scale that in the short term and how can we get that capability into the cloud rather than on-prem? So that that's something that is, you know, definitely desirable right now. And um, just the way that we architected it, again, because we were on the cutting edge um, at the time uh, for VDI, we are no longer on the cutting edge. We have to make that leap to the cloud to be able to scale much more elastically. Um, and that's something that we're working through. So, so the answer is timing, focus, and funding. 
Um, ITAS Wave 1, I expect to actually help us solve this problem. It is funded, which is very exciting. Um, and it will allow us to have the money that we need to uh, and the data that we need to make these decisions and go forward and really do something different. I would also like to get SIPR entirely on VDI. I think it is time. The intelligence community has been doing this for at least 15 years. Um, and then at that point, um, I don't know if you're aware, but in the Pentagon, um, we are in the type of security environment where laptops aren't laptops anymore anyway. Um, <laughs> like if, if I... Uh, if I need to get a new laptop tomorrow, it's going to come with a Wi-Fi dongle. It's going to come with a plug-in uh, speaker and camera. Um, these are all things I'm going to have to plug in as peripherals, um, you know, and, and that's uh, speaker and microphone. Um, and I'm not even sure that my laptop actually has that many ports to plug in that many peripherals. Um, <laughs> you know, so by that point, I would much rather as a consumer have a VDI interface that I can hit through a very cheap endpoint you know, just desktop, you know, situation in my office where it doesn't even need to be that powerful because it's leveraging a, you know, a virtual interface. Um, and I can just use my MacBook at home to do everything that I need um, and, and leverage my bring your own approved device, which uh, is up and running and working so awesome. I, I love my BYOAD. Um, I wish I could give it to more airmen. That's another thing that I hope to uh, democratize uh, through ITES Wave 1, see if we can get some really good costing so that everyone can have it and and bring back that experience that we had during COVID with CVR, um, but without uh, just having kind of unrestricted access to everyone's endpoints. All right. So Troy, so, hang in there. Hang in there, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, what's the answer when it comes to the, the devices, right? I, I think, um, okay, we're going to bring VDI, right? Uh, I remember when I started in the Air Force, um, ITAS was already on the way with very little to show for it to every everyday airmen up to now, right? So clearly there's a timing issue with ITAS. Uh, finally, an RFP coming out for this uh, wave one uh, four years later, right? That's a mind-boggling. I can't even imagine how we explain this one, but um, I don't know who is good enough to do that. But well, I, I let me let me tell you a little bit about this because I remember the early days. It it took probably two years or more to sell the concept and to get the money in the palm. the the uh, The money for production was not in the palm until this year, mm -hmm. um, and and then we had some money for experimentation the years before that, but it was only experimentation. It was very small scale. It wasn't fully funded. Um, it's pretty much, hey, what can we test and learn with this amount of money? And so, and so that's why, you know, some sometimes we are genuinely slow in the DOD, and sometimes we think we're even slower than we are because it takes so long to advocate for the money that by the time the the first penny hits the the line, people are like, well, where is it? We've been talking about it for four years. Yeah. So um, it's kind of wild how we do that. Sometimes. So it's a um, So it's a funding. It's a fun. It was a funding issue. Although I would argue that the R and D and the research that was done was probably also not wisely spent. But that's a different problem. Uh, yeah, but, I, I don't okay, think so that. Uh, I, I don't think if we we definitely did not uh, do the exp the experiment the way that I would have structured it. And I know even my predecessor, um, had he had his druthers, um, it's not how he would have structured it either. Right. Um, but it really came down to, um, you know, risk aversion at the time. How do we yeah. dip our toe in the water when 
really, you know, probably for the same amount of money, we could be at production capacity exactly. for certain. And that's what I mean, right? That's, yeah. but that's so important, right? Effectively, because of the incompetence of the people running the show for that program that didn't know enough about technology, because we put people in charge of programs like this with zero background in the technology we, we asked them to solve, then they, they have, they have so many fears that they, they don't know what to do. And they end up doing a bunch of everything, which means a lot of nothing. Right. And well, I mean, I think, fair. I think we have, you know, I, I think we have some really great people that are doing a great job with what they have. Um, and again, working way too hard with what they have. Um, and I think they, you know, I, I think people tried to make the best decision at the time um, while mitigating risk, but, you know, it takes, it, it takes again so long for the funding to catch up and, and to, to make the buy that, uh, you know, if you're not really careful about it, by the time you make the buy, you know, you're already out of date. And, and actually yeah. I think the team did a pretty good job with wave one, leaving it pretty open. You know, we're pretty much acquiring a strategic partner for that period. And, um, and, and we we're leaving it pretty flexible so it's that we can, yeah. yeah, so that we can purchase the things that we want to purchase and not purchase other things and, and kind of make it meet our budget and, and, uh, you know, kind of drive the ball forward that way. And did the CR impact the wave one? Because I remember when I was leaving, it was supposed to be released for IFP, um, that week, uh, back in September, uh, 2021. So is that, was it a CR issue that pushed the, uh, the stuff to now because that's still no. another what seven months six months yeah no actually the cr has hurt us in a lot of ways um it, it's hurt us on zero trust it's hurt us in icam it's hurt us in a lot of uh, places where we need to be using year of execution money to experiment um but the cr was not the problem for wave one um actually we wanted to get it out in november december but we ran into a problem with another another government agency um that we are still working through um, but I think that we are, I think we've gotten through that. That sounds intriguing. Uh, one day we should, we should, uh, know more about that, that other agency, but anyway. Yeah, it, it is pretty amazing how many loops, um, our acquisition community has to jump through, um, just to buy stuff. Um, and, and this is something that will make such a huge difference for our airmen and we're making it so hard just to buy it. Um, and it's yeah. not our acquirers. They are trying so hard to kind of get through all of this. So, um, but like I said, you know, fingers crossed, I think we're, we're very, very close. All right. So uh, next question from the public here. Uh, so Thomas was asking about the obvious benefits. Given the obvious benefits of HQEs, what are some ways that the process could be expanded and developed? Because it's, it's still pretty unique and rare, right? It is, although we, we there are a lot more of us now, though, um, which is pretty cool. You're not so us, you're an SES three star. You can't you can't say this anymore. That's it. You're well, all, and, you're and, and you're out too. So I guess neither exactly. of us can so say it. Not, but hey, we're not we, us, we kinda, we're nothing. Yeah, but we you know we kind of built up that club, you know, and That's and there are a couple cool. of pretty smart folks, um, you know, around the department that are leveraging that, and and it's actually a pretty good process. You know, the HQE process you can you can direct hire someone. Um, yep. you don't have to create a new billet. As long as you have money, you can hire mm -hmm. an HQE. Um, I personally don't have any money to hire HQEs <laughs> right now. It'd be amazing <laughs> if I did. Um, right. but, um, but it is something that if you have the cash, you can do it and you can do it actually quite quickly. You know, the, yeah. the panel process is, um, you know, it, it's optional. You still have to go through a vetting process to make sure that, you know, 
you don't want it to be just a way to hire your buddy. You know, that's kind of the, the sniff test. You want to see, does this person have legit outside experience that is very rare in the department that a career civilian or military officer would not have um, that would warrant this type of hiring designation? And does this person also understand, hey, like you're coming in uh, for a short period of time, usually three to five years, no more, and you can be fired at any time. And a lot of people think, you know, oh, DOD job security. I remember saying to General Bender early on, um, you know, he was like, hey, you know, when we've talked to HQBs in the past, they're worried about job security. And I remember what I said to him uh, was, if you ever don't like what I'm doing, fire me and I am happy to go back to making money. And he just said, you know what, that is that is just so refreshing. Um, it would be great if, um, you know, if we did have the ability to to kind of help people to find the right positions um, and to kind of keep the workforce fresh and challenged and um you know, especially with HQEs, there there is less risk. You know, if it doesn't work out, the person can go do something else. Yeah, yeah, and it's a pretty flexible and nimble process until we make it less nimble. But uh, yeah, I don't know how many are left, but um, I know some people left and and moved to other roles, and of course, they spread and then left still in the job. That's exciting. All right, let's see other question coming from uh, Gary here. Um, which is uh, interesting. What is the biggest challenge that you face that isn't obvious to people outside of uh, SAF CN? And you have to rename, you, you got to do this for me. You cannot call CN SAF CN anymore because uh, CN is China and and just you need to rename it. You just cannot use CN. This is this is just bad omen for, for the country to have the Air Force uh, a CIO's office called CN. It's just China. That's we can't do that. Well, so I, I thought it was for the Cartoon Network, and it was because our memes are so outstanding. That's not why. No. So I actually, I actually think that um, at the time they were trying to do something with communication, um, but uh, but I agree. Did you know in IT, CN is a domain extension of China. So I know. Is, is, I know. A, the irony is not lost to me. This is yeah. A, uh, maybe by maybe by the end of my tenure, I'll change it to something cool. Whatever, see whatever, anything but not N, you know. So anyway, go back to the question of the <laughs> the obvious, all right, the biggest challenge that you have. All right, and and hello to Gary who has uh, served our department really really well. Um, Gary, thanks for your question. Good to see you on the show. Um, so I think the biggest challenge that I well, I'll give you two. Um, one, I mentioned already just how crazy the funding situation is. Um, it is, it is almost like being a, a, you know, kind of think back to the poor college student days where you're trying to be like, oh, can I cover the rent and the phone and the heating bill? You know, um, so it, it is pretty crazy how, uh, how thin our IT funding is, um, at least, uh, kind of the enterprise IT bucket and, and how long it does take to get things in the palm. I think we're doing a better job of it. We have good support, but um, you know, I think it was a couple of days before I came into the seat, we took a billion dollar budget budget cut across the fight up. And, you know, that that type of thing is just crazy. We we've come back from that. But um the amount of time that that we have to spend kind of um just trying to get funding for basic services is pretty wild. Um, the other thing that is surprising is how many folks get to give me advice and or tell me what I can't do on the department network. Um, so <laughs> at any given time, 
Um, there may be an equity from NSA, from Cybercom, from DISA, from DOD CIO. Um, there are a lot of voices in the room that tell us certain things that we can and cannot do on our own networks. And so you would think that the CIO would be the ultimate authority for his or her uh, department's networks. Sometimes that is the case um, and sometimes it is not. Um, and so we have to do a lot of things by uh, a lot of collaboration. Um, now, luckily, uh, the leaders that are in place right now, um, we get along really, really well. Um, we are um, very much philosophically aligned, especially uh, General Skinner, Bob Skinner over at DISA. He's an Air Force he's guy. Awesome. He's, he's a good friend. He is really pushing things forward. Um, just such an incredible innovator and leader and exactly who we need um, to, to be in charge of DISA. Um, I am seeing DISA make changes at a rate that I have never seen. Um, and uh, it's just, it's very, um, it's inspiring. Um, and it also, it, it also inspires confidence. And so we're doing a lot to work with DISA. Um, you know, for the first time, we're actually agreeing on technology stacks, um, you know, for, <laughs> yeah. for Zero Trust and for ICAM. Um, we have to keep an eye on that, of course, um, and maintain that. Um, yeah, the tech intimacy there. Um, yeah, but that's that's a big deal. Um, we still it have is. things where, you know, Cybercom will push an order and the 16th Air Force will implement it. And, and Bob and I both are like, wait, what just happened? You know, wh why didn't we maybe do this another way? We still have things like that where there are so many cooks in the kitchen that sometimes we'll miss things. Um, but uh, yeah, those are those are two of the uh, the big challenges that might not be obvious. And I guess, you know, Gary was asking another great question. So I brought it up because um, it's it's very much part of the your first answer uh, on how do you manage the relationship with the DOD CIO. And, you know, uh, I was very disappointed with the um, the last memo that DOD CIO, uh, effectively DOD CISO, uh, signed mandating that all continuous ATOs get signed and approved uh, by the DoD CISO and not the uh, service CIO, which I think is a is a massive mistake, particularly when uh, DoD CIO has never ever uh, reviewed or approved or even looked into any any CATOs before. Um, so how would they know better than you guys uh, what's good or not good? So how, how have you been managing that that CIO DoD CIO relationship? So we we have a great DOD CIO in John Sherman. He's an incredible partner. He listens. He's an honest broker, um, very, very direct. Um, and I, I trust him and I trust his judgment. Um, and so for the most part, you know, we're all trying to navigate this world together, understanding how complex some of the stakeholder relationships are. Um, so I'll I'll say that. Um, for the most part, DODCIO is very supportive of what we want to do and um, and helps us move things forward. Um, sometimes we'll get maybe diverted a little bit. Um, so, <laughs> you know, you know. I'm that memo, so that didn't go very well. Yeah, he, he still yep. pushed, although I guess it's not DODCIO, it's DODCISO, but they e report to the CIO, right? So, yes, and and DODCIO is backing that decision. Um, I'll tell you why I am cautiously optimistic about it, uh, despite non-concurring. Um, and, and I'll share too, I non-concurred because I think anytime we add um, another layer above the service CIO to approve anything, you're going to yes. kill agility. You know, I, don't know, I don't know that's yeah. been done before. 
well, it, it certain things pull up to that level, but it's not usually things that are staying just within the service, just within mm-hmm. the AFNET boundary. Um, for reciprocity, sometimes it makes sense. For sure. policy waivers, it you know we do that regularly. Um, but the reason that I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about it is that um, Dave McEwen has said that is it is his intent um, to elevate uh, these types of packages for a period of time, uh, specifically for the purpose of gaining confidence and reciprocity. And so, you know, Platform One, Kessel Run, and others within the Air Force were on the forefront of leveraging new types of accreditation. And people are used to having, you know, a static package with a bunch of controls that they can feel good about at a point in time. Um, Whereas, uh, Kessel Run and Platform One and others are using SD elements to automatically pull the cyber controls into the user stories. They're constantly updating their documentation into the Git repository. So if you know how to how to leverage those repositories, you're getting more current information. But if you've been doing it the old way for your entire career and you're trying to assess it and probably no one's giving you training, you know, you, there's just some cognitive dissonance. Just people people take a minute to kind of understand what's going on. And so um, so Aaron Wise and I, we signed a reciprocity memo just to say, hey, we are behind products that come out of Platform One. We want you to accept them. Um, but we still get questions sometimes. And so I think Dave McEwen, um, if I if I take him at his word, and, and I do, he's, he's a great partner. Um, it sounds like his intent is to say, I actually think Platform One's pretty secure. Let's put it through a DOD CISO process and we want everyone to see that that the that the department has confidence in this play. Meanwhile, there are also many, many, many systems in Air Force and other places that claim to have a continuous ATO, but I don't know anything about their processes. And early on with continuous ATO, um, we said that all of those had to be under the purview of the Director of Cyberspace Innovation, currently Danny Holtzman, or the CIO. Um, and so if we have other programs that have continuous ATOs that may not have gone through the rigor and are just saying, hey, we have a continuous ATO so that they can push on tested software, that would not be good. You know, we want to maintain the credibility. And so DOD CIO has said, hey, we just want to look at this process. We want to learn. We want to pull this into a, um, a department-wide look. We want to learn from Platform One. And perhaps we can get to the point where things have a gold standard and they are uniformly accepted with reciprocity. And so if it goes that way, then it might be a good thing. And he has said, for a period of time, we will do this. The the authorities will then go right back to the CIOs. He's made that commitment. And so I'm I'm kind of in wait and see mode. Um, I want to see how it goes. Um, But I've also been having some pretty good discussions with the Platform One team about how can we make uh, this methodology more accessible to your average assessor how do we do that translation um, and how do we do that translation in an automated way so that we can pull people along for the ride and help them understand that this really is more secure and it's easier and it's right now rather than that point in time that it was first accredited. So first people agree with me that now that you're not an HQE and an SCA three star, you sound political, which is great. <laughs> uh, you've done a good job at doing the political answer. I can tell you two things. When I was in the job, I also non-concurred on this. I actually helped, you know, create, unfortunately, that memo uh, because I was trying to make Contus ATO uh, officially recognized. And so we created a whole set of documentation requirements, pillars and different things, um, you know, 50 plus pages of uh, training. 
Um, and the goal initially was to say they're going to learn from platform one and review it without impacting its existing ATO, without centralizing the authorities, and still have kind of the same learning process without having to become a bottleneck. Uh, so almost like a parallel path, right? And then they could they could even sign a reciprocity memo after doing that, but it would not impact the existing uh, CATOs. The other piece was also, uh, as you probably know, my fear is that you know people say they will um, revert back or push back the authority back down to the service CIOs, but I've yet to see people um, give back things they end up grabbing. So usually, as you know, in the government, that kind of stuff stays where it is. And, and uh, often people move to different jobs and whatnot, and then everybody forgets it was part of the plan. And now you have a bottle, bottleneck that lasts for another 50 years. So the other piece, that's a funny story. I don't know if you know, but the army decided to rename their CATOs to call them con continuous RMF. So now they're not um, in violation of the, the memo. So they effectively just rename uh, their process to not have to deal with the uh, bottleneck of the DOD CIO. So it's just uh, interesting to, to think about that. Well, we still have a fast track ATO that can be <laughs> at a point in time or it can be continuous. We have uh, ongoing authorization that is clearly laid out in statute. Um, yes. So we, we have tools at our disposal, um, but I, yeah. I do think that that what we've built and what you've built um, through our software factories, um, I do think that it's something that we want to encourage other folks to adopt. I think we have a great process and I think it'll be good to educate folks on, on more on that process and help people to, to kind of come along. So um, we'll do whatever we need to do to keep the mission going and to and to be as agile as we as we possibly can. Um, that's why we are hashtag Agile AF, Agile Air Force. Um, yes. Not the other one, not the other one. Just Yeah, no, not at all. Although I, I have to tell you, my um, one of my PA guys the other day asked if we should change the hashtag to Agile DAF because we're the department <laughs> of the Air Force, um, you know, or if Space Force should be in there. I said, no, everyone can use the, the, Agile, the Agile AF hashtag, we'll, we'll be inclusive. I don't think he knows what the initial name was, but um, I, anyway. I don't think he does, but it's all clean here. <laughs> all right. So uh, someone, unfortunately, I don't have the name, but uh, she was, I think it's a girl, but I'm not 100% sure. But uh, that person would love to hear your CAT or origin, the one, the real foundation first CAT of Kessa run in two minutes, if you want to give us the... Uh, how that happened right. to be, because I know you were behind all this this nightmare that you had to pull together in a few uh, months. Yeah, so I I think I signed the first continuous ATO memo circa April of 2018, and yeah. I don't remember when it started, but it happened pretty fast because um, I so in my early days in my old job, I was looking for kind of where's the biggest pain. And uniformly, everyone said, oh, my gosh, the, you know, the RMF process. And um, I kind of looked through and, and actually in a majority of places, um, I saw bottlenecks even further downhill than that. And sometimes even people blaming the ATO process for just, you know, not great engineering or just a lack of imagination and design. There, there were a lot of there were a lot of problems at the time. Um, it, now, and I don't want to take away from how bad the ATO process was and is, it, it's still a big, a big problem. But um, 
around the same time that I was kind of talking through that and looking for pilots, uh, Enrique Oti reached out to me from Kessel Run and uh, went up and spent a good amount of time with them. And at the time, they were able to deploy code, I want to say it was about four times a day at the time, which, you know, in the Department of Defense, where the average push was somewhere between one and five years, that was a big deal. It's up to about 40 today. Um, and I joke that, you know, Facebook and the other guys can deploy thousands of times a day, but uh, I challenge them to do that on our infrastructure. Maybe we'll make that a hackathon one day. How many times can you deploy to our infrastructure? You would crash the whole, you, could, you would have crashed the whole Air Force. That's pretty good. Yeah, we're working on that. We're working on that. Um, that's actually a huge priority. That's part of the Rock Solid Digital Foundation, but but I digress. Um, so I met, uh, I went up to Kessel Run. I met with uh, Brian Kroger and with Wayne Starr. And um, they had come up with most of a process to uh, just really build all of the the testing and the, the security features into their pipeline, such that you were using a tool called SD Elements to pull uh, the security features into your user stories. You had a mechanism to test that on the back end. Um, pretty much they were able to test the vast majority of the security and functionality testing for the first time in the, in the DoD through their pretty robust CI-CD pipeline. And so um, looked at what they had, um, asked them to throw in a few more tests, um, and then also wanted to pull in uh, red teams on the back end to kind of test holistically and prove definitively, did we miss something or did we not? Um, we even did some experimentation where we did traditional RMF with all of the controls um, and stacked that up against the, uh, the pipeline and uh, the red teaming. And we found that definitively the red teaming uh, was consistently stronger than the uh, the 900 controls. Um, we found just really crazy stuff through red teaming when um, I think normally folks would feel, uh, I guess, content in their 900 controls. Um, we did also find things early on in the pipeline um, that we missed and we were able to leverage the red teaming to um, give feedback uh, to the pipeline to come up with new ways to ensure security um, and also had um, had teams that were constantly looking at how do we get better. And then, of course, um, the Platform One team took it to the next level um, and automated even more, put in even more checks. Um, and so so that's really how the, the continuous ATO story um, became real, uh, was in partnership uh, between me and Bill Marion, who was uh, the CIO at the time, and the guys up at Kessel Run just saying, look, you know, the fastest AO in the Air Force, who was Dan Danny Holtzman at the time, um, he had done acrobatics to get down to uh, accreditation in six to eight weeks, um, which was, again, just mind-blowing at the time. That was so fast. But when you can deploy four times a day and the warfighter is waiting for that capability, we can't wait six to eight weeks. Um, we absolutely have to accredit the process by which the code is made, um, be able to test it, be able to actually truly get to a CI-CD world, um, or at least as close to a CI-CD world as we can get. Um, and, and that partnership made that real. Um, and then uh, you and the Platform One team uh, made it even more real. Yeah. Well, we couldn't have done it without all your foundational work. So that's good. All right. Two questions from two different people with very limited, uh, very similar um, questions. So I'm going to read both and then you're going to make a single answer if you don't mind. So as an enlisted warfighter in a separate branch, how can I push for digital innovation transformation without positional rank? That's the first question. The second question is, 
Hi, Lauren. I have a question. When I presented a five, gra five gram novel communication solution to a 10 pound challenge, I felt it was too novel and therefore was rejected. What must I do to get beyond the obstacle of super novel technology adoption? All right. So let's, let's, uh, put the the previous question up first i have a i have yeah. an answer for both of you guys um so i think the first one was about how do you push digital transformation without rank and without rank I, and then listed in a separate branch but it doesn't yes. really matter the branch but unless it's so, all me tell me you're in trouble <laughs> just kidding just kidding yeah I'll, I'll actually give similar advice that i would give in any organization um Use your network. Um, use if it's LinkedIn, if it's Teams, you know, whatever else. Figure out who is doing stuff, who has resources available, who can you partner with, um, and go do stuff. And uh, you know, just forgiveness rather than permission. As long as you are staying safe and not, you know, putting assets at risk or people at risk, um, and just go do stuff and tell your boss, make your boss look good. Make yourself absolutely invaluable uh, to your commanders and, and show them the value um, and leverage the tools at your disposal. Um, so today we have Office 365 for every single airman and guardian is paid for by the enterprise. We have the team's capability for collaboration. You can you can find other people to, to work with across the enterprise. Um, we have an ideation platform where you can see where other people might have the same idea that you have. And you can uh, kind of go back and forth to um, to kind of make their ideas better or see maybe you maybe you think that you have an idea that nobody's tried, but maybe somebody's about to test it next week at their base because they thought of it last year and they actually got a little bit of funding. You know, so starting to find each other and connect those dots. Um, but again, in Office 365, we have power apps. You can go do some low code, no code. We actually have a robotic process automation center for excellence uh, now, uh, leveraging UiPath, um, where airmen can submit just a one pager saying, I want to automate this thing. And then you can you will get your own little army of bots um, to go after that thing, as long as it sounds like there's a good business case for the Air Force. So there are a lot of things that you can do. Um, yes, rank is a thing in the Air Force. And, and sometimes, you know, especially our enlisted guys, we don't listen to as much as we should, which is crazy because our enlisted guys are the ones that really know how all this stuff works. Um, I'll tell you with me, you know, you show up as, you know, a, a, a captain or, or someone in the enlisted ranks, and I'm probably going to trust your technical opinion more than someone that outranks you. Um, but I, I think actually more of my peers are, are figuring that out too and, and kind of trusting people regardless of rank, people that have great ideas that can sell them. Um, but, but again, anytime you can make your boss look good in any organization by just doing stuff and taking initiative and, and not kind of waiting for permission, again, you know, within that risk tolerance, um, I, I think that's the way to push things forward. Nick, do you want to add anything? Well, I've been also giving uh, briefs to a lot of the, the leadership of a lot of um, um, enlisted and airmen and, and duty employees that struggle at briefing DevSecOps. And so I'm here at no cost to anybody to uh, kind of educate uh, leadership. Uh, so if you want to use me to show them the light, you can do that as well. So that's one option. Um, You've got no shortage of light, Nick. I know, right? Next question is uh, that that right. question about you know too yeah. novel uh, people are afraid of uh, 
you know, sometimes we, we, we create more problems because we refuse to find the, uh, Elon Musk has this great um, concept where he, he always wonders if, if something was needed just because it was always there doesn't mean it should be there. Uh, it's kind of the same problem. Sometimes we, we have very complex solutions for a very simple problem. And when it's too novel, people are so afraid of the answer that they walk away. So what, what would be your recommendation to Michael here? So there, there are a lot of things that could be happening here. Um, so I, I think, I think we need to do a better job of, um, of helping our folks to really sell their ideas because let, let's say that it's, you know, just any idea, um, you go and you pitch someone and there are a number of different things that they could be hearing when you pitch the idea, no matter how good it is. Um, and, and this comes down to how well you prepare to sell your idea. If you go and you pitch it to your boss, your boss may immediately think one of the following things. They might be thinking, oh my gosh, this sounds like a whole lot of work for me. And I am already working 16 hours a day. I just can't do it. They might think, wow, that sounds expensive. I don't have any money right now to do this. You know, I'm already um, trying to figure out how I can, for instance, uh, fund IT in the last quarter of the year and get over my deficit. You know, just everywhere in the Air Force has has funding issues, especially at, uh, at the unit level. Um, so they might be worried about how they're going to fund it. They might not understand the technology and not want to say, oh, I have no idea what this guy just said. I have no idea, you know, what this is, um, you know, and and sometimes it it might actually be something that we can't monopolize yet. Um, like you, um, you know, hey, we're going to we're going to run this um, incredible algorithm that will change the face of the world if only I had, you know, this amount of compute. And then you realize that, you know, we don't even have enough fiber to start thinking about doing that in that part of the world. You know, so sometimes there's kind of a cart before the horse thing. It's like, yes, I absolutely want to do that thing, but I have these super basic things that I have to do first to enable that thing that we want to do. Um, so there are, there are any number of real practical things that actually could be in the way. Um, and I think and that especially when you think of, um, you know, we talk about the iron middle or the frozen middle. Um, those are the people that are kind of stuck in between, you know, the senior leaders saying, hey, guys, go fast. Um, you know, we got to get this done. And, and our young innovators saying, come on, guys, what are we waiting for? You know, those are the guys in the middle that have to figure out how to actually do it. They have to find the money. They have to find the manpower. They're short on both. They have to figure out where it works in the policy world. So I would just say that, um, Anytime you can to have the best possible chance of success, show up with the full plan. And AFWorks has some really good resources through the Spark Cells on how you can show up for success, how you can think through how you might buy it, how you can maybe partner leveraging phase one Sibbers to get a, a company to test your idea and de-risk it. Um, and again, you can leverage those, those collaboration platforms that I mentioned before to build a team around your idea. Um, because much like the old uh, the old video, I forget what it is, you know, one guy dancing alone, you look like a crazy person. But once you get that first follower, you know, then like everybody just wants to come dance with you and people start to see the merit. So you, you do have to build that team. And if you're a tech person and you don't know how to speak the language of business, uh, you know, in the words of Silicon Valley, every business needs a jobs and a Wozniak. You know, so if if you're one, you got to find that other complement to help sell that idea. Um, if you're both of those, then uh, give me a call. Come work for me. <laughs> That's very true. All right. So Scott has another great question. Uh, is there any effort to get more expertise in house in the Air Force to have 
small subject matter expertise. One of the things that frustrated me the most was relying on industry to give me the answer to a problem that will obviously be bent towards their company. Yeah, so this is this is a big problem. Um, so we have some, luckily we have some really wonderful industry partners that do try to give us uh, some objective advice. Um, we even have folks that, you know, retired from the Air Force and will say, hey, with my company hat on, I say this. And now with my me and you hat on, objectively, this is, you know, what I really think. And, and so I, I appreciate that we have really candid relationships with a lot of our industry partners and it's built on a foundation of trust. So, so that part I think is good. However, we can't, completely rely on industry to make decisions for us. We have to ask industry what's happening in the world. How would you solve this? We have to ask people for novel solutions, but we have to be smart enough in-house to make the right decision and to be able to manage contracts such that, you know, when we're not getting what we want, we we are able to have the data and the courage to uh, to shut things down. And I actually have seen us over the past year shut down things that were not working and hold people accountable, which I had not seen uh, as much before. So I, I was very uh, heartened by that. I thought it was great. Um, through places like Platform One and Kessel Run, we are building more people with technical chops. Um, we may not, you know, we still don't know how many of our airmen and guardians we're going to have coding every day uh, in the department, but we do know that we need to have people that have the skills so that they can work uh, with industry teams and manage industry teams. Um, and so, so that's something that we're doing, building our talent, um, and we're building our talent uh, through our software factories, through Digital U, um, through uh, education with industry and other partnerships. Um, and also by bringing in HQEs. And, and again, we don't have um, we don't have a, a huge um, you know cadre of HQEs, but but we have more and more people that are choosing to serve for a period of time that are coming in and making a difference. Um, and so uh, so that's that's been uh, a, a really great program as well. Hope that gets your your uh, question, Scott. Yeah, and that, that's going to lead me lead me to uh, another question that. Um, I'm trying to find in the list, which was about retention. And um, uh, here we go. Jay was asking, uh, 1D7 Airmen and Guardian are given many resources to grow in our field, such as TA and Cool. I don't know what that is, but uh, what are some retention tools that you plan to implement to not lose them at the end of their contracts? And I can tell you, I'm, I'm very concerned. I've seen a wave of, of talent leaving the Air Force and Space Force. Uh, seven of Eight of the Platform One founders on the government side are now out of the government. Um, I, I heard another two other critical tenants uh, in the last two weeks tell me uh, they're going to leave, including one that was um, leading our zero trust uh, effort. Uh, another one that's um, um, essential for software modernization across DoD. Uh, what are we doing to to stop some of that? Yeah, so it it is it, it is a big problem. Um, I I do want to set a little bit of foundation in that we've studied this a good bit, and the the first thing uh, the first thing that the data showed is that people really are for the most part all in on the mission. Um, they recognize that this is a mission they can't do anyone anywhere else. They want to solve wicked hard problems. When we can keep our airmen and guardians focused on the mission and when they can feel like 
they are leveraging their craft to do something awesome for their country that they can't do anything else, then that they can't do anywhere else, then they stay. Um, even with all of the cash um, that is that is thrown at people, they would stay if we were able to meet that uh, that bar. Um, the the sad thing is that sometimes we're not able to meet that bar, and a lot of times we're not able to meet that bar. And really, part of my job is to help fix that. Um, we have to give people the tools that they need to do their jobs. Um, we have to be able to keep people focused on the really hard problems and and use their technical skills. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, um, we had to get the the vice chief involved because we had one of our best coders um, sent down to do SharePoint administration in another city. And um, and just people didn't understand that SharePoint administration wasn't coding. Um, I heard a, a story not that long ago about a, we hired a, a person with a computer science degree and they were put in a job as a computer technician. And the joke was, oh, well, it's got computer in the word. Um, and, you know, we don't get quite that egregious often, I, I hope, um, but we we don't give people all of the tools that they need to do their jobs. And we don't um, we don't necessarily say, hey, you are the best ninja that we have on this skill. This is absolutely critically important. Please come over here and practice it. Um, so we absolutely have to do a better job of matching talent with exactly where people are strong, helping people to see their career path, letting people to keep hands on keyboard for as long as they want to, um, and to value those technical skills. And I think if we do those things, we'll actually retain a lot of people um, through that. I love the hashtag for Airmen Coders. That's absolutely incredible community of people that are that are trying to get after also what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, also the design community is trying to get after this. We, we have some really great people trying to solve this problem. Um, robotic process automation, getting people away from manual process so that they can focus on their mission. That's all things that move here. As far as monetary incentives, um, we really do we really do need to um, to take a good look at this because it, it's very it's very much lagging. Um, and over the past few years, we've been retaining a lot of more of our cyber and IT workforce than before. And so we've now turned off the bonuses because that's how it works. Um, you know, when your career field is retaining a lot of people, you turn off the bonus. But what happens immediately after that? Um, the, the cost delta gets much bigger and you have to make up for it with mission. And if you can't make up for it uh, with mission and plan and tools and serious feeling of impact every day when people come in and slog through the problems of the Department of, the, of Defense, we will leave people. So, um, so I know uh, my colleague, General O'Brien, is really pushing hard to make sure that those incentives are in place for a uniform workforce in the cyber and IT community, uh, as well as uh, General uh, T.A. Adams. Um, and I am pushing very hard to make sure that that people are equipped and that we can use them where they feel most lethal, uh, literally and proverbially. Indeed. All right. Um, so Eddie was asking a question regarding the Zero Trust Initiative. I think he's wrong, but I'm going to let you answer for, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I'm hearing uh, application security will be left up to the individual apps owners due to lack of funding. This sounds like your multiple endpoint security tool and will be a receiptful disaster. The DoD needs an application office officer since its apps are mission critical. What are your thoughts on an app office and app owners setting up their own app application security? Yeah, so yeah. specifically, and hi, Eddie, thanks for the question. 
Um, so specifically under the Zero Trust Initiative, we'll be driving more discipline up the stack. Um, people will have to use the enterprise identity solution. Um, people will have to use the enterprise configurations. It'll actually be um, it'll actually be a lot easier uh, to uh, create applications and have basic services um, as we do today. We already have um, some level of consistency for applications that are in Cloud One, much, much more consistency in Cloud One than we do outside of Cloud One. Um, but really, um, I mean, we have so much to do with applications in general. Um, I would predict that over the next few years, if we get it right, we will be streamlining a lot of our infrastructure. We'll be going into the cloud at an even faster rate across multiple levels of security. We will be divesting a lot of applications that we have today, and we will be building them cloud native or pulling in data feeds into new visualizations um, through SaaS offerings, um, but not necessarily having um, as many kind of small uh, fringe apps that are solving just one problem. Um, we'll be doing a lot more as an enterprise in that time and, and getting uh, much stronger security as a result. Indeed. All right. Good. So um, another question, I don't have the name, but uh, there seems to be a huge enterprise at AFMC focused on IT and com. And of course, a lot of it is through uh, POC3, INN, General Schmidt, and not just PO Digital. Are there no efficiencies we can find there? And I'm going to add to that, that it doesn't make any sense that there is a PO digital and 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 a and a shop with Gunny that has effectively all of digital in a separate shop, <laughs> and then Kessa Run being in PO digital, and then IT cloud platform one, transport ITAS, right, everything else inside of PO C three INN. In fact, Navy when they designed their PO digital, they merged all that into obviously a single PO digital shop. So, what are your thoughts there? So I will I will share with you something that uh, that I I think I said to General B J Schwedo on my first day uh, in in the seat on my last job, I said we are incredibly effective given how we are organized and he said wow that is the nicest way that anyone has ever put it um, so it's it's not just about AFMC I mean we have um, you know so we have the the CIO shop uh, at the Pentagon we have uh, AFMC and RCO um, that are implementing IT and cyber projects in different places. We also have ACC as the, the lead command. Um, and so we have the 16th Air Force as the operators uh, and defenders of our network. We have Triple C uh, largely involved in architecture and design, um, getting more into uh, user experience. And so um, there are a lot of cats to herd. And again, it, it requires us to have really strong relationships and uh, also document and govern uh, very, very smartly, which um, we have some room for improvement, and that's something that we're that we're working on. Um, I, I think that um, you know, Nick, I know you have some strong opinions on this. I, I think we have a lot of really smart folks doing a lot uh, with what they have. Um, I think that um, definitely there are some things that um, that we could bring together, um, like having having your uh, IAS and PAS teams co-located. You know, we've been talking about that. Um, for, for a while. Um, we are doing some consolidation with our software factories. Actually, that it's um, you know, making a lot of people nervous, actually, some of the changes um, that, that are going, going on right now to consolidate things. Um, and, and we have to do that smartly or it will um, 
you know, we do we do just have to be very very uh, smart about how we reorganize. Um, but I do have a uh, I mentioned the consulting effort coming in. Um, organization is one of the things that that I'm looking at. We also just uh, finished about three months of cyber mission analysis, where the whole community came together and took a look at you know 20 years of moving things around the enterprise and hey, what should right look like and how do we get a good look at at even as is today. So. Um, you know, more to follow as we as we run through that thread and uh, and make decisions together. Yeah, and you know, obviously the people are doing the best they can, and most of the people I've met are tremendous, you know, eager and very eager to to succeed, right? But but the fact is, um, they don't have the experience many times to get it done, and so we put them in a very tough spot, right? They want to do right, they want to they want to serve the country. They are awesome people, and, and I'm never. Never meant to say, you know, that the people are not awesome people, right? But but the fact is, you probably want to pick people that have done this before. Just it's already hard enough, and pretty much harder than any other company on the planet. If you compound to that, you know, people that don't have any experience in the domain, is going to make it even more uh, complex to succeed. But um, yeah, uh, but I, I mean, think- yeah, and I I think you're I think you're absolutely right, and. Um, Let's also think about our our inventory. I mean, the the Air Force has been in the cloud for four years, mm-hmm. you know, which is a really long time for the Department of Defense. Um, I believe we were the first to get to real scale and and still currently yeah. the world's largest cloud instantiation um, across across all of our domains. Um, so our most seasoned person is going to have four years of managing contractors and maybe doing some operational things in the cloud. That's going to be our most experienced person unless we pulled someone in from the outside. And so, I mean, that's something we have to do, but it takes time to kind of build up that skill set. Um, it takes even yeah, But we could have broad HQEs, right? We could have, yeah, I mean, okay, ICAM, Zero Trust. Yeah. I can tell yeah. you right now, right? Zero Trust, ICAM. Uh, DevSecOps and cloud need four issues to exist and survive. They absolutely do. And and I will say that, you know, being an HQE in the Department of Defense, that was one of the most fun jobs that I have ever had in my life. Um, you know, I felt like I was making an impact every day. Um, as CIO, I have to also run an organization and, um, you know, kind of- It's more boring. Plod through all of the bureaucracy every day. As an HQE, you pick which roadblocks you want to move. You go. You you know you feel the impact every day. You can move very fast. We don't have enough people um, that are that either know how to jump in or are ready to kind of in a lot of instances take a pay cut to come in and and dive through the trenches. But I would love to see us build that cadre. Um, I would love to see more people come in and serve with those skills, even if it's just for a period of time. Um, I think DDS was right about bringing people in, you know, for for a few years to make a difference, and then and then run back. Yeah, but they have to be embedded, right? The, the the DDS model is just, you know, having a separate team of expert, not directly embedded inside of the program offices is just for me. It's 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 worthless. Yeah, but they but they got the timing part right. You know, I think yeah, that that yeah. they've got they've got. Look, the, the fact is, the program offices are putting you know uh, MLs and SMLs, and that those are the people running the show. They have plenty of money to hire an HQE, right? Uh, you may not have money to hire HQEs, but um, Gunny could hire very easily uh, four HQEs to run cloud and DevSecOps and you know uh, whatever else, right? Zero yeah. trust and so on. 
but that's never been a thought. It's it's only an MLSML. There's just no one is going to think think outside the box to put people in charge of these teams that is coming from a different background. So I'll um, I'll make an analogy that hopefully is amusing to you and your listeners. Um, but you know, we talk about AI human teaming, and and I and I do think that's the right approach. And and the reason we talk about AI human teaming is because there are a lot of places where um, AI, and I'm talking the a big, overly broad blanket of things that typically fall into the category of AI in the Department of Defense. Um, you know, so we we don't necessarily trust the black box yet. Um, you know, we want the human to have a gut check. We want to have kind of here's the decision I would make and here's the level of confidence and then the human makes the call. Um, we also need kind of uh, HQE officer teaming. Because, you know, HQEs, we come in the side door, we're kind of renegades, nobody really knows us yet, we've got a lot of uh, dangerous knowledge, not everybody knows how we work quite yet. You have a warfighter that really knows, um, they really know their domain. And so I think that, um, you know, if you just bring in HQEs, they may not be able to translate into the warfighting environment. But if you if you partner an HQE with a really solid colonel that knows how to lead, yeah. knows when to trust, you know, just has good judgment and knows the warfighting domain, when you put those types of people together, magic happens. And and I have yeah. to thank all the colonels out there that catch me out of trouble as an HQE, um, sure. and who you know I'd throw out a crazy idea and they'd say, so uh, ma'am, these are the three places that that'll fail if we say it that way. Um, but maybe if we say it this way, we'll, you know, get a couple wins in there. And, you know, and, and most of the time I listened, sometimes, sometimes I didn't, um, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I stuck to my, my, uh, gut, um, throughout, um, but there's a lot of value to just that diversity of thought working together. Yeah. And, but, but I think the, the ML and SMLs, um, should be deputies and the HQEs should be the, the, the primary decision maker and and they have to be surrounded right and honestly i would not have succeeded and you would not have succeeded without people in inside of the department but but i think um these teams have very little chance of success as is if we don't bring that kind of outside the box thinking um so anyway next question is about um here it is so many, so we have so many questions. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to answer all the questions. But there was a, an actual pretty interesting question about uh, General Brown' recent comments about um, concerns about the number of factories and uh, sizing, resizing that. Yeah. So, um, so I, I have I have talked to General Brown um, on this topic, and and some of the context is that, um, and I think this is slightly. This might be slightly outdated, but um, in his travels, everywhere he goes, uh, he'll meet airmen who have their own software factory and they're doing great stuff and they're solving new problems. And they're like, hey, in General Brown, we did this out of hide and we need money. And so <laughs> so here's General Brown showing up everywhere he goes, TDY, and people are saying, hey, sir, can I, can I have some cash um, for my new software factory? And so... I think that is the context that he that he's coming from. Um, I don't think that you know. I would say that uh, from my optic, I don't think it's about limiting the number of teams of innovative airmen that are leveraging software to solve problems in a new way. I think we we want as much of that as as we can possibly get. Um, we don't want every software team to be building their own tech stack. That's why we have Platform One. 
Um, we, we do want people to be sharing code as much as they possibly can and leveraging inner and open source um, code as much as possible. We want to share, we want to contribute. Um, so, so I think it, it really just depends on, you know, we throw around the term software factory pretty loosely in the Air Force. Um, but are we, are we talking about a team that is solving a problem and happens to be leveraging software to do it? Or are we talking about a team that has built out a platform that people are using to make software? And the latter, we want very few. Uh, the former, let's, you know, let's bring it on. I always was against that that term of software factory because it's actually confusing, right? There's, like you said, there's almost two meaning of the term. We should probably fix that because I think it's it's part of the problem is, uh, you know, clearly we're still letting a lot of teams build their own factory in a vacuum uh, so they can build mission software. Uh, there's no mandate to use platform one whatsoever right now. Um, at the same time, like you said, we don't want to have too many of those but we want to enable people to build better software and share it and have a same cyber stack and compute ATO stack. And um, it's going to get more and more complex when we start doing more AI and ML and it's going to compound upon itself. That that problem is going to become probably even worse than the endpoint, uh, you know, security solutions competing with each other problem because it, it's going to compound upon itself. So uh, that's probably something people need to think about. Um, all right. So, I have two last questions. Well, there's way more questions, but with the time we got, uh, I'm going to pick two last questions for you because I know um, we're running out of time. So, um, all right. So I have to, it is all good questions. So now I'm going to have to um, to pick one that uh, will be the last good. And then I have a funny one for, for the last one. Okay. So, um, all right. Uh, it's they're all, all very good questions. I'm sorry I'll for the people. What, that while you're here. while you're sorting through, um, yeah. I do want to acknowledge in the in the comment window um, the headlines that are being posted. The Pentagon wants to turn its 29 software factories into one ecosystem versus <laughs> DoD wants more software factories. Um, definitely funny. Um, the uh, side by side headlines. Um, yes, Troy <laughs> on DoD Git. Um, we do have our DAF Git repository. It would be good to have more people contributing. We do have a number of folks contributing outside the department as well. Um, but when we say we wanna turn our 29 software factories into one ecosystem, it's not that we wanna strip the identity of the software factories or keep them from solving the, um, the actually very important problem sets that they're solving. We do want them to leverage one tech stack. We do want them to share code. We do want them to learn from each other through processes. Um, and we do want people to see a career path that goes through different factories and helps people to see that, hey, once I've seen the promised land of an awesome software factory, I'm not then going to get shipped off, you know, to someplace I don't want to be um, as a, you know, computer technician or a SharePoint administrator, um, you know, to, that it, it's trying, the intent is to, to fulfill more of that promise to Airmen about that career path. Indeed. All right. So last real question, and then I have a funny question at the end. So uh, any effort not to have EIT uh, only rely on uh, 3,400 money versus more stable color of money, any chance you can des designate uh, EIT as a service, as a weapon system to better compete with funding? So we do have some cyber and IT weapon systems um, that will be falling under my portfolio soon. So I'll have more awareness of how we deploy that capital um, in our cyber and IT networks and weapon systems. Um, 
And I mean, Sipper is a weapon system, um, you know, the way the AFMAT is a weapon system. So, you know, those things uh, are there. We, we do have to uh, manage them and make sure that we are leveraging agile processes and that we're able to make them incrementally better um, even as we spend, you know, a good amount of our resourcing on defending um, those legacy systems. Um, yes, we are also looking at strategies and, and also leveraging strategies to some extent um, to use multiple colors of money. And we do have um, different vehicles that we can leverage. Um, if we're doing something as a service, it largely is 3,400 money. Um, but we do have some other contracts where we can uh, try different things um, or even scale, not as a service, but to at least deploy new equipment and, and have our operators kind of have a leg up. So um, there, there are a couple of things that we're employing um, along those lines. All right. So I wouldn't be doing my job here if I didn't point the fact that you were, you were pretty much leading or very close to leading the Washington 100 uh, votes. And so uh, for people that have not voted yet, you should probably consider going to wash100.com and vote for Lauren to uh, to be the number one. She, she should be number one this year. Uh, so go on wash100.com and vote for Lauren. And now let's go to my next question. I have um, some great competition. Yeah, but you, you need to win. You know, I, we don't care about competition, right? So, and by the way, for people that, before I go to the question, people that want to see um, the, the the big article that came out a few weeks, a few days ago on the the standing of the vote, you can check it out. But again, it's wash100.com. And then you go and you pick Lauren and then you vote. So do that. Uh, all right. So now back to my funny question. Well, it's not my funny question. It's Brandon's funny question, but... Do you like uh, the Netflix Space Force uh, show? And who is your favorite character if you watched it? So I do really enjoy that series. Um, I, I don't know that I have a, a favorite character. They're all pretty colorful. <laughs> They're all funny. I will, I will share that uh, late last year, I ran into uh, General and Mrs. Raymond at a cocktail party. And I asked them if they enjoy the Netflix uh, series. And, um, you know, and if, if, if they are fans. And so, um, so General Raymond mentioned that his kids are huge Steve Carell fans um, and that they did watch the series together. Um, they did think it was really funny that um, the general's wife on the series was in jail. And so Molly Raymond and I actually did a, a LinkedIn post where I said, hey, good news. You know, Molly is not in jail. Uh, she's right here with me at this cocktail party. Um, but they, yeah. they got a lot of great laughs out of that series um, and really appreciated it. Um, another friend of mine, uh, General Chad Radigi, um, is actually on the the wall in the beginning, in the opening of the series. You can see as they as they pan in on the walls, you can see his picture. Um, so it, it's just fun how they how they sprinkle some absurdity with some truth, and uh, and other situations like uh, I think the you know the Russian casually asks for you know the mother's maiden name while ordering a coffee. You know, just just really funny little things that they insert. So. So I am a big fan, and uh, a lot of folks were excited to hear that the Raymonds were also big fans. Indeed. All right. So I'm going to thank you. But before I do that, I wanted to remind people of the dates of the next show. So 
Jay Bonchi, the Air Force Space Force C-Tier, will be on next week on Tuesday. We'll talk about uh, some of your priorities through him because, uh, let's face it, you let him do all the work. So he's going to be answering all of the questions regarding the trans transport, uh, zero trust, uh, data, fabric, uh, DevSecOps, and so on. So uh, pretty uh, amazing stuff uh, that he told me about uh, this morning in preparation of uh, the, the show. And then uh, the 15th at uh, always 1 p.m., uh, Raja, the Otimo CEO, who is uh, also helping Platform One, will be on the show. And uh, the 22nd, uh, we're going to have the Air Force Digital Transformation team, uh, a bunch of airmen joining us. So uh, hearing from the people doing the actual work, not just uh, HQEs or SCSs, just talking about stuff all day. Uh, and then we're going to have the 29th, uh, John Olson, the Air Force, Space Force Acting uh, Chief Data and AI Officer, because he's he was smart enough to add AI, which I guess makes him the first Chief Data and AI Officer in the Air Force, right? Uh, so uh, that's going to be the 29th uh, of March. So pretty exciting lineup. And I have a special guest that's going to come, someone that made quite a bit of noise also when I left, uh, that's going to come in April. Uh, everybody has heard about him. Uh, so he's going to be on the show, but I'm not going to tell you yet the name because I want to build up a little bit of momentum. So I wanted to thank Lauren again for taking the time, two hours of her time at the Pentagon uh, to join us and ask, answer all your questions. Uh, please thank her. Don't forget to vote on watch100.com for Lauren. And I'm going to leave the last words to you. All right. Well, thanks, Nick. And I'm so glad that you're getting pretty much my whole team on your show. You have yes. General Olson coming in. He is killing it as our first um, chief data and AI officer. But ask him what his other jobs are. I mean, the man yeah. does he not say so he is jobs. a machine. He's got at least He's three jobs. Um, and uh, and also, Jay, you're right. I, I tossed all the, all the work on Jay. Uh, he pretty much showed up his first day. And I said, Jay, we have we have a number of problems. I need you to focus on these three. And by the way, you have about two weeks to present a new roadmap to the undersecretary. You ready? And he just said, absolutely. <laughs> and he dived in and, um, you know, he has been such an incredible asset and another person um, really that we, that we kind of stole from industry. Um, he was working at Akamai, but working very closely with our airmen and guardians every day for, for several years. So He's been a huge add to the team, um, and I'm I'm excited that you'll be able to kind of double click into the, some of the work that we're doing uh, with him and with uh, and with Jo. So thanks for having me, and uh, thank you for continuing to just push really good conversations and bring people together in the department. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Stay safe, and see you next week at 1 p.m. Bye bye.